The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. The Lord being our helper tonight, I want us to turn to the fourth chapter of the book of Mark. And as you turn there, let's, let's remind ourselves who wrote this book. According to the early church, who uh, should have known, the, the writers, some of the extra-biblical writers, not, not writers of the Bible, but those that wrote some historical documents, letters, and so forth outside of the Bible, tell us that Mark wrote his gospel as it was dictated to him by the Apostle Peter. And I find that interesting. I find that amazing, actually. Uh, uh, because Peter, as you know, was uh, a major character, a major Figure. In fact, the first half of the book of Acts, for the most part, is about Peter's ministry. And then we know it turns to Paul. But uh, Peter was the great outspoken apostle. He was apparently a very passionate man. He, he cut the ear off of the high priest's servant when they came to get Jesus. Um, he, he had big swings from being so passionate that he said, Lord, I will die with thee. These others may forsake you, but not me. I'll die with thee to cursing and swearing and denying Jesus before those campfires of the world out there when he should have been right there with him. Peter was the one, according to historians, who dictated this from the, to Mark that he wrote down in the Gospel of Mark. Now, one other thing I always want to make sure you understand, I'm not saying that in any way to lessen the inspiration of this book. It, was an ins it is the inspired word of God. doesn't really matter who spoke it. And what we're reading here, according to history, is, is what Peter is telling Mark about what he saw with his own eyes. You remember, James and Peter were the first two apostles called there in the first chapter of Mark. Uh, they And then, of course, John and his brother, uh, were, I'm, I'm sorry, Peter and Andrew were the first two apostles called. James and John were called then next. And then they witnessed how Jesus was turning the world upside down, the world as they knew it at least, by going around and, and, and flying. Every, his doctrine was flying in the face of the Pharisaical teachings. He was even calling publicans to be his followers. Levi, who... We know as Matthew, who wrote the book of Matthew, who was sitting at the receipt of custom as they passed by, I can't imagine how Peter may have turned up his nose when he, when he began to walk by that old publican there. And Jesus turned to him and said, follow me. Boy, he expanded their view of the kingdom of God, didn't he? And, and that, was, that was his message. His message is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is is here and now. It is near unto you and it's different than anything you ever could have imagined. Now, where we are in chapter 4 is that Jesus has just upended the Pharisees' understanding of the kingdom of God. <laughs> he has been doing things that were clearly miraculous and they've been saying Satan was the cause of it or the power behind it. He's been doing things that to them, it, flew, it definitely flew in the face of their traditions. They didn't wash their hands. They didn't fast. 
They ate on the Sabbath. They gathered corn. All these things. And Jesus is telling them, listen, you're not getting it. You don't understand what the law was all about. The law was not given just to be a law. God didn't just say, hey, let's come up with a law one day. The law was given for man. Now, there was a reason for the law, and we're not going to really have time to go into that except to say this. One of the purposes of the law was to show man that he couldn't keep the law. <laughs> you know, it... it, it Man always knew he was a sinner. Adam knew he was a sinner. But, but it was really not until Moses that they figured out how bad a sinners they were. <laughs> you know, if you want to know how bad a sinner you are, go read the Ten Commandments. And don't read them like that rich young ruler that we're going to talk about after a while. Or not tonight, but eventually. Don't read them and say, well, I've kept them. <laughs> because I'll tell you, you might have outwardly kept nine of them. You really hadn't, but, but you might think you've kept nine of them. Boy, when it gets down to that, thou shalt not covet. <laughs> Whew, that's going to get you, isn't it? I have not committed adultery. I have never done that. Jesus said, if you look upon a woman to lust after her in your heart, you've committed it. And he's, what he's saying there, I haven't stolen anything. Boy, you wanted to, didn't you? But if you look at something and, and you want it, you lust after it. You've, you've stolen it in your heart. Anyway, I could go on and on, but Jesus said the law is not about the outward appearance. It's about what's in the heart. It's an inward heart matter. And then it brings us to chapter 4. He continues to teach more of this revolutionary doctrine that he's been teaching, this thing that flies in the face. See, Jesus was ushering in a kingdom unlike anything that the Jews of that day had ever imagined. And it certainly wasn't what they expected. They expected their Messiah to come and to break the Roman yoke. The Romans had control. They ruled over them and many times with an iron fist. And they expected the, the Messiah was coming to set up an earthly kingdom. It was going to be a political kingdom. It was going to throw off the yoke of Rome. But in this chapter, he continues to teach them some things that are revolutionary uh, compared to what the Pharisees had been teaching. So let's look at it. Chapter 4 and verse 1. He began to teach by the seaside. Let me back up. He began again to teach by the seaside. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine. Doctrine is just teaching, but notice what he says here. He says he taught them by parables. Jesus introduces parables into his teaching, and and just quickly, let's look at the definition of a parable. It's, it's, a, it's a Greek word that's a combination of two Greek words, and it simply means to place one thing beside another. And it's basically an illustration, and it's most often he's using a natural occurrence or a natural phenomenon to illustrate a spiritual truth. And he's using something they would have been familiar with. Now, the reason he used parables, he goes on to tell them the reason a little bit later on uh, in verses 10 and 11. He says, when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. That seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted 
and their sins should be forgiven them. Back over in Matthew chapter 13, I believe Matthew is writing about this same incident, this same occurrence. And he elaborates a little bit on what Jesus said to them uh, in Matthew chapter 13 and verse, uh, verse 10. He says, when they said that the disciples came to him in verse 10 and said, Why speakest thou to them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. Whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Therefore speak out of them in parables, because seeing they see not, hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and not perceive, for this people's heart is wax gross. And their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted, and I should heal them. <clears throat> now, let me stop right there and say that these are kind of complicated if you just look at it uh, at first blush, okay? It's kind of complicated what he's saying. But there's basically two things I think, I believe he's saying here. First of all, he's saying that... <clears throat> The people he's talking to are a people that have, through the century, you remember that for 400-something years, there's been no divine inspiration. There's been no divine message from God, but they didn't need one. If they needed it, God would have sent it. They had the Old Testament. They had the prophets. They had all the writings of Isaiah. Uh, they had Isaiah 53, <laughs> just like we do. They had so many things there that they should have known. They even had Daniel to tell them the almost exact date that the Messiah was coming. Sometime read the book of Daniel. It's not that complicated. There's 70 weeks of years talked about there, and people want to complicate that so badly. You know all that 70 weeks of years that he's talking about does? It says, Jesus is coming at this time. <laughs> and he, he prophesied it beforehand. But this people had gotten so complacent. They had gotten so mired in their traditions they had gotten so oblivious to the word of God and to the spirit of God that they now were in a sense blinded they they could see but they they didn't perceive that now I don't let me say I don't believe this is talking about unregenerate people this is not what he's saying here well certainly the the one Jesus says in John chapter 3 said if you haven't been born again you can't see the kingdom of God you can't see it without a new birth, without a spiritual nature. But that's not who he's talking about here. He's not talking about, un there are some unregenerate in here. Some of their very leaders, no doubt, he tells us, were of the devil. Some of their spiritual leaders, their religious leaders, they're not spiritual leaders, brother buddy, because they're, they're of the devil, okay? But, but what he's saying is, even as children of God, as the chosen nation of God, the people that he came to, it says he was rejected by them. You know why? Because they were blinded by their traditions and by their, their way of thinking. And he said, so, so to these disciples, he says, you guys get it, okay? Now you're getting it because God's given it to you. That's, you know, Jesus tells Peter, Peter says, yeah, who, he says, whom do men say that I am? And they say, Isaiah and 
some other prophet and all that. And he says, whom do ye say that I am? Over in Matthew chapter uh, 15, I believe it is. And he says, Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, man, you're smart, Peter. Oh boy, you got it. You must have studied hard last night. No, that's not what he said. He said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. You see, they get it because, number one, they were born again. Number two, God blessed them to have this insight. But also, look at where they are. They're following Jesus. When Jesus said, follow me, they followed there were those who did not follow Jesus. And guess what? They did not know these great truths like these that were following him did. And what he's saying is this. He's saying, number one, I've got to speak to them in parables because they don't get it. There's, they're not... Their level of spiritual insight is blinded by what these Pharisees have been teaching as traditions. They've been teaching those as doctrine. They don't know the scriptures like they should. I have to break it down for them. And number two, this is fulfilling the prophecy, by the way, not in the sense that it's a good thing that they don't know or it's a good thing that they're blind or that God made them blind. God didn't blind them except in the sense that he, in a sense of judicial blindness, in the sense that he, he left them to their own devices, okay? But he says, I'm going to give them parables because they can't take anything else. And number two, they're not even going to really believe or understand the parables, <laughs> Okay, but that's what he's doing. That's what these parables are. And and then he says something amazing. Now, I'm skipping, obviously. I haven't read the parable yet. <laughs> We're going to come back to that. It's a familiar parable. It's a parable of the sower and the seed. <clears throat> that's what he's about to tell us. But I want you to look with me at verse 13. You remember in verse 10, when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve. Ask of him the parable. Now remember, this is the parable that, he, that we haven't read yet, verses 3 through 9. But we're going to read it in a minute. It's a familiar parable to us because we've heard it many times, the parable of the sower and the seed. And they say, tell us about this parable. And he tells them, first of all, why he's speaking in parables. And then in verse 13, listen to this. He said unto them, know ye not this parable? And how then will you know all parables? And it's almost like Jesus is looking around incredulous, but he wasn't incredulous because Jesus was never incredulous. He knew exactly what was in their minds and hearts. But what he's saying is, he's saying, guys, if you don't get this one, you're not going to get any of them. This is the basic, one of the basic building blocks of the kingdom of God that I have brought to be at hand, that I have brought near to you. This parable is important, beloved, because it teaches us, in a sense, it's a key, it's one of the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And he says, don't you know this parable? How are you going to know any parables if you don't know this one? The idea here is that that old idea of the example we've used many times, heard used many times, 
about a ship that leaves New York Harbor, headed to London. But the navigator on the ship is one degree off. It's one degree south more than it should be. That, that's not a big deal. It, it's, it heads out, looks like it's going okay, right? You can't really tell much difference when it leaves the harbor. But you just wait till it ends up in Portugal <laughs> or, or, or Africa somewhere. Because that one degree off will mess you up the whole way. It just gets worse and worse and worse. If you don't correct it, if you don't get back to the beginning, back to the basics, you're going to be off the whole way. That's what Jesus is saying here. You've got to get this one in order to get the rest of them. So let's look at this one. He explains it to them. Verse 3, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth. And immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun uh, was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty, and some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And Jesus <laughs> spoke this parable, and it's this parable that he said you need to get before you can get the rest of them. So let's look at it for a few minutes. And, and let, me, let me just say this too. Uh, you, say, you ask me, Brother Chris, are you going to interpret this for us? And the answer is no. Because Jesus interpreted it. All right? <laughs> That's the best thing. Now some things in here, yes, your pastor, your preacher, whoever's preaching to you has to, has to dig and search and, and try to interpret for us. And, and not in the sense of changing the meaning, but bring the meaning out. But we don't have to worry about this here because Jesus interprets it for us. Well, I've heard it said, Brother Buddy said it not too long ago, that the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture. I'll do you one better than that. The best interpreter of Scripture is Jesus. <laughs> and He does it here, okay? <laughs> now before we talk about the particulars of it though, I want you to notice a couple of things. Jesus, in verse 14, begins to explain it to them. But notice that in every case, these are all hearers. They're all hearers, okay? Verse 14 says, The sower soweth the word. The sower is sowing the word, okay? Whoever the sower is, it's the word of God that's being sown. It's the gospel, the good news that Jesus has brought, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and the good news that he is the one that's going to usher it in because he's going to die for his people. That's the, that's the word, okay? That's what's being sown in every one of these are hearers. And notice that the word in verse 15, as he begins to tell us about the wayside, and I don't want to get to the interpretation yet, but listen to what he says about it. These are they by the wayside where the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. In their hearts. Now, I, I've told you this when I've tried to preach on this before. 
But I confess there was a time that I believed there was one category in these four different categories of ground that represented a child of God and three that represented the non-elect, a non-child of God. But that was wrong. <laughs> that was completely wrong. Because what this is, is a parable about the kingdom of God and about how the kingdom of God ultimately spreads and grows on this earth. And I'll tell you, the kingdom of God doesn't grow by unregenerate non-elect getting into it. Because they're not going to hear the word. And nothing can be sown uh, in a spiritually dead heart. Spiritual seed cannot be sown in a spiritually dead heart. Okay? Now, do I need to prove that? Now, let, me, let me just say that. Maybe I do. Let me just... I was going to gloss over that, but I think I need to say <clears throat> the world's teaching is if you will give your heart to Jesus, he'll exchange it for a new one and give it back to you, give you a new one back. Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 tells us about that heart that you possess by virtue of being born or conceived or born into this world as a natural person. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. I want to ask you something. What's a thrice holy God going to do with something that's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked? As I heard Brother Spann many years ago say, he'd heard his grandfather, who was a preacher, say this. He, he said, They tell me to give my heart to God. What's he going to do with a nasty old thing? He don't want that old wicked heart. He's, he's not going to take that and play around with it and, and put it on a shelf somewhere and give you something else. Beloved, our hearts are deceitful above all things. And they are desperately wicked. Well, I'm going to do enough good works that the Lord will born me again. I want you to take all of your good works, all of your righteousnesses and bundle them up and take them to God, put them in a cardboard box like an Amazon package or, or a bunch. Maybe you've done a lot of good works. Maybe you've got one that's that enough good works that'll fill this room. You've given to the poor. You've, you've, uh, uh, you've taken care of people. You've done all the things you can think of that you've done and you box them up and you take them to the doorway of heaven and you lay them there and you know what the Lord's going to do with them? He's going to say, get these filthy rags out of my sight. I don't want no filthy rags in my heaven. Because Isaiah 64 tells us that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. You say, preacher, I've done some good things. I'm sure you have. So have I. But have you always done them for perfectly pure motives? <laughs> I hadn't. I hadn't. <clears throat> Man, i like for you to know what good things I've done. Sometime let's get together, I tell you, okay? Because I want you to think good of me. I, I, I like for people to, you know, Brother Buddy, I don't like for them to know I like it, but I like for you to know it, you know. I, I like for you to think I'm really humble. And I like for you to think, oh, I, you don't, no, nah, don't brag on me, you know, just, but just doing my job, you know. That's, hey, let me tell you something. I, now, don't get me wrong, do good works, okay? We're, but we're not talking about that right now. We're not talking about having been born again and trying to serve the Lord. What I'm telling you is, don't you ever, ever mistake your good works for righteousness. 
because it's nothing but filthy rags in the sight of God. Don't you try to take those to the, to the throne room of heaven and say, this is why I should go to heaven. Because every time I've ever done anything righteous, you know, Brother Buddy was kidding with me not too long ago. He said, boy, you've messed me up so bad because now every time I do something good, I think about him. I'm doing it for the right reason. Well, you know, it messed me up too, Brother Buddy. When I got to thinking about it, I used to be kind of proud of my good works. And now I get to thinking about it. every time I donate or I do anything, it's like I'm probably doing this. I'm just a sinner, you know. I can't, I'm not even doing it for the right reason. Because you remember, it's a matter of the heart, Right? And pride is something God hates. And that's not even always the only reason we do it. Sometimes I do it in hopes that I'll get a reward. You know? Now, now don't get me wrong. I, I'm painting myself to be a pretty bad person here, and I am. <laughs> I am. But I think if you search your heart, you'll see that we're probably in the same situation. We're probably in about the same situation. I challenge you to think of one thing you've ever done that would be considered good, a good work that was completely pure in its motivation. I can't think of one. I challenge you to think of one day in your life that you've not done anything wrong. And I don't mean just done anything wrong, thought anything wrong, said anything wrong. I'll do you one worse than that. Or almost said something wrong. Boy, I caught myself. I didn't, I didn't let that curse word come out. But it was in your head. <laughs> There's been times when I've jokingly have told my wife, well, I didn't cuss, but I should have. Because I sure thought it, you know. And I don't say that bragging by any means. I'm saying that by the fact that in my mind and in my heart, I am desperately wicked. I don't want to be in the position of having to take my righteousnesses to God and exchange them for eternal life. Because any eternal life that I could exchange for my righteousness wouldn't work for very long. It wouldn't be eternal, I can tell you that. It might just be a flash in the pan. <laughs> the word was sown in the hearts of these hearers. And what that means is, is because we are dead in trespasses and sins and we had to be born again, that means that before we, 1 Corinthians 2.14, says the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. In your natural man, in your flesh, you will not and cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. Do you think the Word of God is a thing of the Spirit of God? I think so. Jesus said, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit. They are life. Let me say to you, you can't, if you haven't been born again, you are not going to hear or receive the word of God. Well, these, these, these people here were all hearers. All hearers. But there are different categories of hearers. And that's, that's what I want to talk about for a few minutes now. Notice that the first category is a category of, called the wayside hearers. The wayside hearers. The wayside is a, it comes from a Greek word that means a traveled way, a well-traveled path, a road. Okay? This would be a place where a lot of people traveled and the ground would be packed solid. Think about, I think about Brother Oliver every time I think about an 
agricultural example. Think about <clears throat> Brother Oliver Junkin. If he had gotten out in his driveway and started trying to plant some okra or plant some corn in his driveway, we, we would be talking to Brother Glennon and say, Brother Glennon, you've got to do something about Brother Oliver. He's trying to plant a garden in his driveway. <laughs> because that's a, cra that's a foolish place to plant a garden. There's not, put much, there's not any good ground there. It's all packed too hard. Uh, there's not any place for a seed to get a foothold. And, and notice that he says in, in the, original, uh, the original parable, he says it came to pass in verse 4, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. Think about corn seed planted on a road. Notice then what happens. The birds come down and they pluck it up. You know why they do that? Because it's easy pickings. It's easy pickings. Now, now, they may go and dig it up out of the ground in the good ground of the garden, but it's going to be an effort on their part. You know why the birds are hanging out here? It's because people are always dropping stuff, and when they drop it and they lose it, then it's right there for them to take. It's right there, easy pickings. And notice in verse 15, he explains what that is. These are they by the wayside where the word is sown. It's sown. But it's on the wayside. These hearers are not where they ought to be. It says, when they have heard, so they've heard it, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. You see, the wayside is a place that we ought to avoid because Satan himself hangs out there. Satan himself hangs out here on the wayside. Now, remember, Satan's not omnipresent like God. He's not everywhere present, nowhere absent. He has a lot of minions. He has a lot of demons out there uh, that are working for him. But he's not like God. He's not everywhere present and nowhere absent. So he has to choose where he's going to be. He's hanging out by the wayside. You know why he's hanging out by the wayside? Same reason the birds are hanging out by the road when somebody's planting a garden. They can't get it in the good ground, but they're going to pick it up quickly off of the road. You know what you need to do, child of God, if you find yourself on the wayside? You need to get you out. Like Joseph did out of the chamber of that wicked woman over there. You need to stop what you're doing. Let me, let me tell you, one of the beauties of this parable, and I don't really intend to go so deep into it tonight, brother buddy, but I may not help it. But, but one of the beauties of this parable for a preacher is it teaches us about these categories, and it gives us some insight on how to deal with them. If you find yourself in West Alabama Bank next week, and somebody comes running in there with a gun and says, this is a robbery, give me all your money, okay? It's probably not going to do much good for you to go to and say, hey, you ever heard about the doctrine of election? <laughs> You know what the Lord said about predestination? Let's talk about the doctrine. Hey, the Lord's coming back. You want to talk? They're not, they're not interested. Now, if, if you could identify people as children of God somehow, and believe me, believe me, a child of God can rob a bank. <laughs> a child of God can commit murder. Just ask Paul when you get to heaven. He was an accomplice. <clears throat> if you could identify children of God somehow, and, and, and you get yourself caught up in the middle of some 
criminal activity or some kind of ungodly, immoral activity like that. Let me tell you, deep theological uh, discussions are not going to probably happen on the wayside. You, you know what you need to do on the wayside? You need to go tackle that man <laughs> if you can. <laughs> if you're able to stop him, stop him. Uh, uh, if, if nothing else, you tell him to stop. That's what, if you find yourself there, you don't need to think, well, why, you know, I need to figure out what superlapsarianism means. And, oh, let me get into that. I'll go read a, no, you don't need to read a theological treatise. You don't need to go do anything but stop what you're doing. Stop it. Turn around and get off that road because you're going so far in the opposite direction you ought to be going. You're just dropping the word right and left and Satan's snatching it up every chance he can get because you're not listening and you're not interested not because you're not a child of God. It's because you've been maybe going down this path too long. You've gotten hardened. Maybe you just, you're not listening, you see. Get away from that place as quick as you can. That's, that's you know, preachers sometimes, we, we, get, we get confused. And, and we, when I'm trying to, and you, you need to think about, when you're trying to witness or testify to somebody about the great things God has done for you, like I said, they're not interested. If they're on the wayside, you're not going to get anywhere talking about the deep things of God. I've been in a position, though, before where I was dealing with, many times, dealing with people on the wayside. And I, and I one, one person I can remember, I just looked at him, I said, I just want to tell you something. There's a better way. There's a better way. That's all I'm going to say. There's a better way. If you're interested, I can tell you about it. And went on. And sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. You know, we can't tell if they're children of God, but we can tell them that at the very least. There's a better way. Then, then he tells us about another, another category of hearers called the stony ground hearers. And it says in verse 5, some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. Oh my, I've dealt with many Stony ground hearers. <laughs> the stony ground hearer is not necessarily on the wayside. They're not on the path to destruction. They're not, they're not committing crimes and engaged in immorality. And they're not, they're not running headlong toward the cliff. They're, they're just kind of drifting. They don't have... It's, Jesus tells us about it in verse 16. These are they likewise which are sown on stony ground who when they've heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. I've had many people get excited about the doctrines of grace, about the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for his people. I've heard of many people, dealt with many people who got so excited, but notice what happened. They have no root in themselves and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Verse 6 put it this way, when the sun was up, it was scorched. <laughs> I like that. Because it had no root, it withered away. This is the person who is not grounded in the Word. This is the person that may not have ever read their Bible. Or maybe they've, maybe they've grown up in, a, in one of the denominational churches. And they've been taught that this is, what it's supposed, this is the way it is. And, and they just never really studied for themselves. You know what I've done before? And, and I'm not saying I know it all. This is just one, one approach. 
You know what I've told them? A lot of times we'll, we'll talk. Now, y'all are those, y'all are those primitive babies. Y'all believe in, in, in predestination, the doctrine of election. Just I tell them, go study for yourself. Yeah, it's in there. It's in there. You ever heard your preacher preach on it? Most of the time I said, no, I haven't, I haven't heard that. Go study it. Go read. You see, they have no depth of earth. They need to study. They need to, they need to cultivate. They don't need to just cultivate the soil. They need to build the soil up, you know? They need to build it up so that the Word can, can, can find a place in it. They need to build themselves up in good works. Maybe they just say, well, I don't go to church. It's, you know, I, I just don't see the need in it. Well, get to church. Get in the church. Get to going to church. Be faithful to the church. Start growing, build up the soil, experience the fellowship. You see, those are the kinds of things you need to teach the stony ground hearers. They, they need to learn more. And then you've got, you've got the thorny ground hearers. And that's the ones that I have the most trouble with because I find myself in that category so much. Verse 6, it said... Verse 7 said, Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. Make no mistake, child of God, if you're in the thorny ground, and you stay in the thorny ground, you're not going to bear any fruit. The thorny ground will choke you to death. I don't mean spiritual death. I don't mean you'll get kicked out of the, the kingdom of heaven itself one day. But in the kingdom of God here and now, there are things that will deceive you and lead you astray. That's what Jesus said, verse 18. These are they which are sown among the thorns, such as hear the word. And the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Oh my, notice that it says that there are three things here. Cares and riches, and lusts. And you can't hardly separate the three. The cares of this world, the, the stresses that are out there. And I get it. There are stresses. There are cares. I am, I am worried about things from time to time from the standpoint of I have to be concerned with providing for my family. I have to be concerned with trying to do my job and not lose my job so that I can provide for my family. But if that becomes my chief concern, if that becomes my only focus, then the next thing you know, I will not bear any fruit in the kingdom of God. You say, preacher, how do you know that? Well, I know it for two reasons. One is Jesus said it, and that's enough. But the other is I've experienced it. I've experienced it. I can tell you times you say, not you. Well, I guess since you've been a preacher, you hadn't. Let me tell you something, beloved. I, I can, again, here I go confessing, brother, but I confess to you, there have been times I've stood in this pulpit and it was only by the grace of God that I was able to give you anything. Now, I know all preaching is only by the Spirit of God, but if a man is studied and a man is prepared, he can at least talk about the Scriptures. There were times I couldn't have even talked about the Scriptures if the Lord hadn't been with me. It'll happen to you and I and every one of us if we don't watch it. So what a thorny ground hearer needs to do 
is to stay upon the Lord. You know, that's what he says in Isaiah 26 and verse 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. The idea there is being propped on God, leaning on God. That's, that's the way to get out of the thorny ground. To study, stay upon the Lord. Stay focused upon Him. And then we read about the good ground. Praise God, there is some good ground. And thank the Lord by His grace and mercy. Every once in a while, I get in there. Every once in a while. I try my best to stay there. It says, other fell on good ground and did yield fruit. Notice in verse 20, these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. Let me first say this. Don't you ever be discouraged because you look over here at somebody else and say, man, I'm only bringing 30-fold and they're bringing 100-fold. We're not to be comparing ourselves among ourselves. That's not wise. You just be concerned with bringing forth the most fruits you can bring forth. Man, oh, so-and-so, he, he got to talk to 15 people this week about the kingdom of God. I didn't even get to talk to but one. That's okay. Out of those 15 people, not one may come. <laughs> you know? You, you, you do what you can do where you are, you see. Notice what the, the good ground says. They, it says here three things. They hear, they receive, and they bring forth fruit. You know, you know what that tells me? They're in the place they ought to be. They're in the church house. They're in the Word. They're reading, they're studying, they're listening, they're, they're paying attention and they're focused in the right place. It says they receive it. They don't just show up and go through the motions. They listen to what the preacher preaches. They listen to what the Word of God says when they study it. They're not just out there saying, well, I've got, it. I've got to check this off my list. They receive it. You see, kind of like John 1, 13, to them, as many as received him, uh, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You know what that means to receive it? It means to believe it. Believe it. Say, well, it's all well and good for Sunday, but you know, I got to go out in the real world. No, beloved, Sunday is the most real world that you'll find. The kingdom of God is more real than anything you'll find and deal with out there. Because whatever you deal with in the world is going to pass away one day, but the things of the kingdom of God will stand. What we get here on Sundays, what we get when we get in the word of God is a little foretaste of the permanent kingdom that we will be a part of one day. You having financial troubles? Join the club. You're struggling in your marriage. Hey, I love this woman, but I'm not always easy to live with. I'm not going to say anything about her. He's a whole lot easier to live with than I am, I'll tell you that. Join the club. You having problems with your children? Hey, look at my children. I'm just kidding. Uh, they, uh, <laughs> but their, their children are problems sometimes, aren't they? They're, they're trouble, okay? I'm just kidding, Mason, I promise. Uh, but seriously, you have trouble. Right? I, they didn't just come up and say, oh, they're cherubs. They, they've had halos since they were. Listen, I'll never forget poor Meredith. She didn't have the terrible twos. But on her third, she was fine. For, you know, for her second year, it was a pretty good year. And on her third, her third birthday, she got three spankings, you know. She wasn't just coming out doing perfect. We had to teach them, you know. It's trouble. 
children or children are not easy to raise. But what I'm saying to you is I'm not saying that to discourage you from having them. I'm saying that to tell you that your struggles are the same as my struggles and are the same as everybody's struggles. And we need this kingdom of God. We need to be in the good ground so we can deal with these issues. So now there's a third thing here, too, by the way. It says they bring forth fruit. You know how you bring forth fruit? You got to do a little work. You got to do a little work. It's not just, you know, this kind of thing doesn't just fall upon you. It doesn't just fall in your lap. You hear the word. You receive the word. You go out and act upon the word. You live like it, you see. That's what he's talking about when he says, to them gave he power or authority to become the sons of God. By the way, he goes on to tell how you... He said, you were born. (laughs) Already you were born again, you see, in verse uh, 13 of John 1. But but he says that you have the power to become the sons of God. What he's talking about there is you have the power now, the ability, the authority to act like you're children of God. And then as as this chapter goes on down, at least through verse 34, Jesus kind of expands on the parable and gives them a couple more. But, but basically, this parable that I've just given you is the key, one of the keys to the kingdom of God. You see, the world out there is talking, that the way the world teaches this is, is, is as follows. You've got to do everything you can to preach the word to everybody you can, to try to get as many as you can saved for eternal heaven. And Jesus said, that's not it at all. That's not it at all. What it is, is preaching the word, preaching the word wherever you have opportunity, sowing the seed out there, and and understanding that not every child of God is going to receive it in the same way. And he goes on to tell you, look at, he he expands on, he says, if you don't get this one, you're not going to get the rest of them. I know you get this one, so let's look at the rest of them right quick. Verse uh, uh, verse 21 and 22, he said, Is a candle bought, brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not to be set on a candlestick? He, he's telling us here, look, be bold, brothers and sisters. Be bold. Go out and preach the word. He didn't give you the word to hide it. He didn't give you the gospel to keep it a secret. Uh, even the wayside needs to be preached to. Don't avoid the wayside, just the Christian, just because that. Well, there's no hope for him. That's what the world will tell you. Look at what he's done. There's no way he hadn't made the right choices. He hadn't made the right decisions. He hadn't prayed the right prayer. Preach the word, beloved. They may not. They may be children of God. They may not be. But beloved, preach it anyway. Be bold. He says you weren't given this gospel to hide it. And then he says in verse twenty-four, he says he says. Take heed what you hear. And then in verse 25, he says, He that hath, to him shall be given. And he that hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he hath. In other words, he's saying, be careful, brothers and sisters. Be careful. Take heed what you hear. Take heed the things that you're around, that you let enter into your mind and heart. With what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall be more given. In other words, you need to be listening to the right stuff that will make you start thinking in the right way so you can get more of the right stuff. You see? He's saying to whom, if you've got, you're going to get more. And if you don't have it, you know, why waste it on you? (laughs) It's kind of what he's saying there. I don't mean, again, we're talking about children of God. Think about people that you know 
that have had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to be a part of the kingdom of God, to take advantage of the things of the kingdom of God, and they continue to reject it and reject it and reject it. And how many of them do you know that don't have anything to do with the kingdom of God today? How many of them? You say, well, I guess they're going to hell. No, they're not necessarily going to hell. There may be some that, that weren't children of God, I suppose, but the ones I'm talking about are people I'm certain are children of God. But the Lord's not going to keep giving you something to be casting it on the wayside. He's not going to keep giving you seed to keep throwing it down and let Satan come and take it away like the birds of the air snatch away the corn seeds that are sown on the road. He says, be careful, okay? Be careful. Don't listen to just anything and don't squander what you have. That's what verses 24 and 25 say. And then he says in verses 26 down to verse uh, 32, basically, he says, he says, be encouraged, brothers and sisters, be encouraged. Notice in verse 26, so is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. <laughs> For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle because the harvest is come. He says, listen, be encouraged. This is a miraculous process. What's happening in the kingdom of God is that God is working even when we can't see him. You need to be working. You need to be sowing seed. But God is working whether you know it or not. Talk to Elijah when we get to heaven. He said, oh, I'm the last one. There's nobody else. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. I'm all alone here. He said, I got 7,000, Elijah. You just don't know about it. How'd you, how'd you get here? Think about that. Think about your own condition. How'd you get here? I don't know how we all got here. Man, I just woke up one day and here I was in Zion Primitive Baptist Church. I, it's like, whoa, I, I sometimes have to stop and think. It's like, man, I, I was headed here and there. And the next thing you know, I'm right here. How did we get here? Well, I know that we were trying to be faithful. I'm not saying you shouldn't be. You should be trying to be faithful and trying to follow the Lord. But here's my point. I don't know exactly how each one of us got here. Sometimes I look out there and say, how in the world did we all get here together? <laughs> but I know we did. Amen. And I know the Lord was the one that takes the credit for it. Amen. You see, he's working when we didn't know it. And then in verse 30 and 32, he says, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, mustard seed which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs and shooteth out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. You know what he's saying? Not only is this a miraculous process where God is working when we can't see him, but it's also a marvelous process. It's marvelous. This isn't some big old watermelon seed. That you sow and you can see it. It's a mustard seed. What I'm doing here tonight, the preaching of this word is like a mustard seed. It's the least thing you can think of. First of all, it's called foolishness. He said it's foolish. Preaching, he said the foolishness of preaching saves them that believe. <laughs> foolishness. I'm up, you know, I'm, I'm being foolish tonight. I'm up here preaching. I'm, a, I'm foolishness. It's, you know, it's, it is as the world looks at it. <clears throat> 
it's, you know, in the world's eyes, the November election is what's going to change the world. Now, I understand it affects some things, but in God's eyes, it's what I'm doing here tonight that's going to change the world. Do you understand that? This is like a mustard seed, and it grows up. It's the smallest thing of all, and it grows up into the biggest thing of all. Because, see, the kingdom of God can and does change the world. In verse 33, he says, With many such parables spake he the word unto them, as they were able to hear it. Without a parable spake he not unto them, and when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. These verses describe the continued ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He kept on using parables according to Peter as he related it to Mark. They probably weren't all written down. He didn't write them all down that occurred on this occasion. You've got to go back to Matthew chapter 13 to read about some of the others. But notice that Jesus is not some wise guru who lives at the top of Mount Everest. And you've got to climb up there. And when you get there, like the B.C. comics... He spouts off some kind of platitude and some mysterious saying that you come down scratching your head about, trying to figure it out. He expounded all things to his disciples. That, that word literally means to, to unloose or untie. He, he untie you, you think you're all tied up about something in the Scripture? The Lord will untie it for you. He'll loosen it, loosen it up for you. He, he expounds it to them. He, in fact, in fact, even today, he's told us that he wasn't going to leave us comfortless. He told us that he sent his Holy Spirit, or he was going to, and he did when he was gone, which shall teach you all things. Now, I know he was talking specifically to those disciples, but, beloved, the Spirit still helps us today. And more, most important of all, he's given us this, the Word of God. You got a problem in life? The answer is right here. You got a struggle in life? The answer's right here. Say, I can't figure it out on my own? Look around you. You got a lot of folks right here. Got a few that are ordained ministers. Some that are called to preach. You don't have to be called to preach or an ordained minister to help somebody understand the Word of God, though. Right. That's one reason we need the kingdom of God in the form of the church. We need to be here. Jesus Christ gave us the key to the kingdom. And, and we need to use that key to unlock all the wondrous truths of the Word of God. Because, beloved, the truth will make you free. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.